cliffcentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. We've got another great guest lined up today. Uh, I'm Jonathan. And Ramon is present as always. How are you with? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. We're recording this before Donald Trump becomes Supreme Leader. And you're on time today, so that, yeah, that's, that's a bonus. Impressive, impressive, I know. <laughs> well, I heard of massive flood warnings around Washington, D.C. Um, oh, really? Does they, it usually flood there? Uh, no, no, it's all, it's all the salty tears that's going to right. flow uh, once Just liberal tears just filling up the streets. Indeed, and, and that's the one thing they do have is indignation and outrage and tears. Um, in in spades, in spades, they they're not or, short or of it. Buckets. Or buckets, or, or, or dams. Spades and buckets, and they can go to the beach. Um, right. So, so um, without uh, without too much further ado, uh, hopefully you are hearing this, and Trump hasn't nuked the world. Um, Ramon, would you like to introduce our guest for today? So our guest today is Hunter Martz, uh, who is an author and a podcast host. He has a degree in biochemistry from Harvard. Uh, so he's and he's not a liberal snowflake, apparently. Uh, he has co-authored a book called The Straight A Conspiracy, and he co-hosts the Brian Callen Show, also known as Mixed Mental Arts, and writes at mixedmentalarts.com. He has recently uh, been on the Joe Rogan podcast. So, so yeah, we get. We're very lucky to have him. Our uh, tiny what? little show here in South Africa, as he mentioned on Joe Rogan, we just lied to him about our numbers. Um, <laughs> you know. We, we, That's what you do, guys. we didn't That's double them or triple them. We just times them by 400, and then the numbers <laughs> came out right. Yeah, but well, thing you know, that's what it takes if you want to build a business. I mean, you gotta you gotta make waves. You gotta do things you're not supposed to do. You gotta challenge authority. Um, and I, I, to be clear, I just want to clear up first up. I am a snowflake. Uh, <laughs> in fact. We, we all are snowflakes. The difference is that some of us are in denial about being snowflakes and some of us have, have, accept, have accepted it. Because when a person is born, when a child is born, their mind is like water, has the ability to become anything. And then it uploads a culture and that culture starts to make its mind increasingly rigid and like ice. And if you look at who fundamentalists are, is that they're the biggest snowflakes in the world. Because, you know, whether it's a guy like Richard B. Spencer on the alt-right or an Islamic fundamentalist or some social justice warrior or, dare I say it, Richard Dawkins, (laughs) then you have only ever really experienced one culture in one environment. And what you do is when the world starts to change, you get scared. You don't know how to handle it. And so what you do is you defend your It's a very good Milo impression. Very, very good Milo impression. I love I mean, you know, and and that's the thing is, is that how do you deal with a snowflake? And I didn't figure this out. I copied this playbook. The wisdom of the crowds exists. It just needs to be stoked and stirred. And, you know, when, at first, I'm going to be honest, you know, I was a total snowflake about the alt-right. I was like, that's scary. Like, I didn't understand what they were doing. But they did these very interesting things, like making fun of social justice warriors. And they took Triglypuff, uh, who was oh, this amazing. Fantastic. I Just the best. <laughs> but see, what, what's really interesting about Triglypuff is, is that Triglypuff shows that you don't actually need to read most of these books to spot the patterns. 
So the great thing, if you look at the Trigglypuff video, what happens is, is that she triggles, right? (laughs) And something has put in, you know, this sort of computing response, as in like her brain is loading. Now, (laughs) what I know when I see that is I see Daniel Kahneman's thinking fast and slow. Somebody on the Internet probably, and I'm guessing this is some dude in some dark hole of Reddit, without reading thinking fast and slow, without knowing about Daniel Kahneman, has figured out that there is fast thinking, which is reactive, and there's reflective thinking. So the wisdom of the crowds is there, and my job is to create the controversy to teach the controversy. I'm just going to take what's already there, these memes and all this sort of stuff, I'm going to stir that shit. I'm going to keep stirring that shit until there are conversations being had that haven't been had in years. And any time somebody tries to say to me, you can't say that, I'm going to be like, why don't you read Thomas Sowell's Black, Red, Next, White Liberals? Yeah. Why don't you read Joe Henrik's The Secret of Our Success? And the, the point of all of these books is, is that there are people who try and shut down conversations. And they try and shut them down by saying, you can't say that. They call you takfir. They call you a racist. They call you a redneck. They call you whatever it may be. They throw some word at you and say that your opinion, your observations don't count. And what what we've been trying to do is have a conversation about culture for a very long time. And Brian and I didn't come up with any of this. All we did was we aggregated. We took all of these things and we put them together. And now we have the opportunity, thanks to Bropra, to create, you know, a sort of awareness of what Bropra's book club could do. And, you know, I, you have to understand that we, we humans think magically. And so, you know... People, there's magical thinking in all the tribes. All the tribes have their magical thinking. Even science, which I know is a form of heresy. And, you know, the idea that there could be heresy against science is is a bigger heresy because science is supposed to be the truth, right? It's supposed to have banished the wicked superstitions of the past and, you know, established a glorious new vision free of human emotion. And, you know, that's the thing. Then we need to have heresy. How do you get from being a scientist to... You know, you, I mean, you studied biochem, fair enough, at, at Harvard, and they're not a very thinking university, lots of snowflakes there. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how proud an alma mater you, you, you are towards no. it. Um, but it, look, a great university, but you, you studied biochem, I'm sure you were very focused on that field of study, and, and now you're very much in the arena of philosophy. So how do you well, get here? Well, so I, I think to be clear, it's not philosophy. It, this doesn't sound like science. Like, that's the interesting thing. It mm. doesn't sound like science. But if you dig back to the books and then you dig back in the books and you go all the way up to the papers, the academic papers, you're going to find that it's all there. And, you know, the, the thing about any sort of message is that it takes time to unpack it. You know, it's not that, you know, Jesus goes out on the first day and says, hey, guys, love thy neighbor as yourself, and everybody's like, gets it. He has to be like, no, you even have to love the Samaritans, right? <laughs> they're like, like, but they're such fucking assholes, those Samaritans. And so he's like, okay, Samaritans are such fucking assholes. Okay, let me think of a story that's going to clarify what that is. How about a good Samaritan? Now how do you feel about that? Oh, fuck, this guy is actually a better person, even though he comes from this shitty tribe that you hate. And you come to realize that, oh, this is actually the Dunbar number, because... 
you know, all along the issue was that, you know, human stereotypes, they can't help stereotype. We form patterns in the world and you have to disrupt the patterns so that people can form better and better patterns that allow them to better make sense of things. So what ended up happening was, is that, you know, I, I, I mean, what, where, what, what are your cultural experiences? Cause let's be honest, two white guys in South Africa, I think you've seen that culture matters. I think you know this, and that's why we're having this fucking conversation right now. Well, I mean, we we, we both are classically classically liberal. Um, that's yeah. what, that's what people Although call he's an anarcho-capitalist, so you can pick I, on him. Uh, hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. Theoretically, I'm an anarchist, but I do see the pragmatic aspects of having a state. Um, but in South Africa, there is a massive culture of, of victimization. Victimhood, yep. um, and there's a, a lot of, of ethnic tribes, including the white tribes, but they don't mm-hmm. see themselves as tribes, whereas the black tribes do see themselves as tribes. So that's why yep. we brought you on to try and make a bit of sense about the concept of tribalism and the concept of fundamentalism yep. within tribalism. And I think, right. I think the basis of all that is Descartes' error, is it not? So Descartes made this presumption that thinking and feeling are entirely separate and we should see them as yeah. separate. And then uh, Demacia wrote a book in 96, I believe, which I read called Descartes' yeah. Error, and he said, yeah. no, feeling is in- inextricably linked to thinking. And that has all sorts of implications for how we view each yeah. other. And what are those implications, Hunter? Well, the most upsetting implication for a scientist is the fact that Jesus was a scientist and that he was on to something and that he was a neuroscientist. And I can't tell you how emotionally Jesus uncomfortable Jesus was Sam was Harris 2,000 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, that's, that's the point is that but, the, but Sam Harris is not Jesus. Sam Harris is Saul. And he has the potential to become Paul. And hear the great gospel. The scales can fall from his eyes. John Haidt is the Jesus of science. Like, that's who he is. And, you know, it's important to recognize that, that, that the conclusions that I'm talking about in terms of Descartes' error aren't just about Damasio's book. They're also about Daniel Kahneman's book. They're also about John Haidt's books. It's also about Paul Ekman's books. There's a whole bunch of stuff. And I, I can't even tell you how stubborn of a rationalist I was because I had all these conversations with Katie O'Brien who came from the world of the humanities. And, you know, she's like, dude, these children are fucking miserable. And I'm like, but they're saying things that aren't scientifically true. They're talking about math genes, and there is no math gene. And the errors of their thinking must be corrected, right? They're heretics. How dare they think that they know anything about science? I'm the biochemistry major. And that was upsetting to me. And eventually, and then I was in a, I mean, of all places, like the worst, most uncomfortable place you could put somebody coming from, you know, the snowflake factory that is the Harvard biochemistry department. I went to an acting class full of Scientologists. I mean, Jesus, these are people that didn't respect at all. How could a person from Harvard's biochemistry department respect them? I could, the idea that there might be good Scientologists and bad Scientologists. Just because your theta levels are terribly low. (laughs) Yeah, I just, it was, I mean, you know, talk about, you know, but how the mighty have fallen, right? <laughs> I graduate from Harvard with a biochemistry degree, and then, you know, I'm cast low, and they <laughs> spend time with Scientologists. And, you know, there was all sorts of cognitive dissonance there. I mean, one thing that, I, you know, I, I stole, like, part of the straight conspiracy is stolen from Scientology. Would you believe that? And specifically, it's because L. Ron Hubbard, 
in all of his weirdness and insanity, he was coming around at the time. It's very interesting when you go to, and I, I had to like do a scene once with somebody who was in the church of Scientology and clearly this had become her religion and like it had fulfilled something that she'd never had before. And you go into her apartment and it's like in the wizard of Oz, you know, he, the wizard of Oz gives this diploma in thinkology and he says to the scarecrow, you know, that there are people who are no smarter than you who, you know, get to prognosticate on these things because they have these fancy pieces of paper. And so if you go into a Scientologist's apartment, it's all fancy pieces of paper. And they are, I mean, you know, illuminated manuscripts. And, you know, it just makes them feel really good because they're like, my degree is just as good as yours. And it emerged in the 1950s when there was a certain obsession with college degrees. And there were a lot of people who either couldn't afford them or felt that they couldn't get them. And so it was what and, you know, what L. Ron Hubbard ended up doing was he delivered their it's like all of these cults. He delivers something of value that is so life-changing for people that they then swallow a whole bunch of insanity. And the little bit of value was the power of looking up words you don't know. Scientologists are obsessed with dictionaries. They're obsessed with dictionaries. And anytime they encounter a word they don't know, they look it up. And that's a really simple behavior. But if you get students to consistently do that, the cumulative effect of always looking up the things you don't know yeah. is, is that they become really smart. And if you then have no integrity, you can then say, and that's why you have to sell your soul into slavery for a trillion years. <laughs> now, I'm doing that because I have integrity. And let me tell you, integrity is a bitch. It makes you feel like you have to give ideas away for free rather than like trying to package them and create some kind of cult. So, or rather trying to create a good cult. And there are good cults. Like that's what Joe Rogan talks about in uh, Triggered. He talks about how Mormonism is a good cult. And that's an uncomfortable thing because now Joe has to think about this. He knows already that there are good cults and there are bad cults. And then he's got his boy, Sam Harris, and he's got Richard Dawkins. And how do you sort through those feelings? <laughs> so just going back a little bit and to why yeah. humans aren't rational. Yeah, they're, but that's because, you know, we're apes. Like Joe Rogan knows this. You guys know this. We're upgraded apes. And, you know, you look at a dog, right? Why Why can you tell what a dog's feeling? <laughs> you, you're guessing because you're sometimes. Because you're evolutionary lineage. <laughs> and because you have this... You're, it's, and, you know, I, if that's uncomfortable for people that you're related to a dog, I like dogs. I think they're noble creatures. Some people think that, you know, in the Arab world, they don't like dogs. They think that dogs are dirty and low and all that stuff. I think they're noble. I think they're loyal. They're friendly. And, you know, I can amazingly, I can form an emotional connection with a dog, even though the dog can speak no words. And I can do it with horses. And I can do it with all sorts of mammals. You know what I can't do it with? I can't do it with a lizard because lizards don't have those kind of complex facial expressions. So this is what I learned from teaching at Oaks Christian is just that, in fact, science is all around us. And that the key to teaching people is not to, you know, demand that they read a thousand, ten thousand articles. It's to show them how these patterns are show up in Triglypuff. They show up in dogs. They show up in horses. They show up all around you. The Dunbar number shows up all around you. Just, and the more you start... Just explain the Dunbar number because I think some of our yeah. listeners might not know it. 
Yeah. So again, and I, it, so much of this is connecting to your own experience. So you have felt is there's actually Dunbar numbers. There's a series yeah. of them. And so the, the smallest one is, you know, like two or three people. And these are your besties, your BFFs. And they're the people who you would tell literally anything, right? If you had like, you know, the most, you know, uh, you were like really like head over heels in love with a girl and you didn't know how to get her. And you were like, man, I just, you know, that's who you would talk it through with. And then there's sort of a larger group, a slightly larger group, which is your entourage. And that's the group that you tell about, you know, the most stank, nasty sex you had with like the worst hoe and like what happened and all that stuff. And all guys know this. Like, it's not like we don't know this. I mean, I can tell you that the, the most fun part of uh, college, it was never Saturday night. It was always Sunday morning. Because Saturday <laughs> you'd go out and you'd do some dumbass shit. And then the fun of it was coming back and humiliating yourself and just telling uh, the best possible story at your own expense and then teasing each other. And so, you know, that's your entourage. And then you get a little bit larger. And there's the sort of what people talk about the Dunbar number. They're usually talking about the size of 150. And 150 is a tribe. And um, you find that, again, the upsetting things from reading John Hyde's book, The Happiness Hypothesis, you find that religious people have figured out the Dunbar number without doing a bunch of scientific research. And John Haidt, because John Haidt is fundamentally in the quest for understanding and making sense of the whole of human history mm. and, you know, understanding all cultures, is able, is, has the emotional confidence to be able to cite things like the Mennonites. And the Mennonites, when a group gets too large, a community gets too large, they split. Almost like two cells splitting, you might say. It's almost <laughs> like natural selection happens at the level of groups or that it happens at multiple levels. But that may be emotionally upsetting to some people. And so the, what happens is, and they, and then the Mennonites know why. They know because past a size of 150, social pressure breaks down. So it no longer becomes possible for the community to police itself and to be able to figure out who are the ums, who are the people the who are guys. taking all the, yeah, who are taking all the guavas and not contributing. And who can you, who do you need to take out hunting and be like, you fuckhead, you've read too much of the selfish gene and you're not <laughs> contributing and it's time you fucking became a useful member of society. And the challenge is that if you look at our society, big, big, mass scale society, we don't have tribes of 150. If we were, if we were to, you know, design a better society, what you would have <clears throat> is you would have a series of these nested hierarchies. And there's a book called The Gardens of Democracy. And, you know, again, all these things are in the air. You know, sometimes there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of, if you read the innovation research, they talk about uh, independent innovation where you'll have, for example, at the same time in history, Leibniz and Newton invent calculus. Yeah. They're not, you know, in two totally different parts of the world. Mm. And again and again, throughout the history of innovation, you know, there are multiple people working on the telephone or multiple people working on the television. And, you know, one publishes first, one achieves it first. But it's really, in the end, you know, humanity nowadays, like, can I celebrate, you know, uh, you know, Watson and Crick versus Linus Pauling for discovering the double helical structure of DNA. Sure. But the reality is, and this is going to be really upsetting to people who believe that they're, you know, really, you know, special snowflakes, hmm. is, is that 
somebody else would have done it. Um, and if, if I wasn't here having this conversation with you, somebody else would have done it. And the opportunity is there's this, there's this great, again, like these things are all in culture. There's this great idea. When you see a movement happening, get in front of it. Your choice is to be the person who leads the charge. And so all I'm doing is leading the charge. But that, but that's quite, uh, in American culture, they love that, that great man syndrome. There was this no, one, George, George Washington, he was Abe Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. They yep. did, they were these great men far beyond, far more intelligent than any of us plebs here in the soil. Oh. Um, <laughs> that is, that is, that is quite an American way of looking at history. And that's, mm. that's obviously bullshit. It is obviously bullshit. Let's be honest about something. Is it obviously, though? Because you guys are saying it's obviously, and I'm seeing George Washington on every $100 bill. Yeah. And he's, and the point is, is that, but what's interesting and part of what Katie O'Brien and I have been trying to solve with the straight A conspiracy and what Brian Callen and I have, are now trying to solve with mixed mental arts is that that wasn't the American culture in 1776. In 1776, they really had this, it was the, you know, and you can read this in David McCulloch's 1776. It was a day and age that believed that a man by serious and diligent application to books could teach himself whatever was required. You know, Ben Franklin was an indentured servant. He was a fucking nobody. And, you know, he, I mean, just like, it, you know, and he would go around and, you know, he read books and he did all sorts of things that he wasn't supposed to. You know, he, he snuck articles into his brother's newspaper and he hustled. And, you know, the result is, you know, Ben Franklin was a mixed mental artist because he was a businessman. He was a comedian. He was uh, he invented flippers like, you know, he was like wanted to work out and he wanted to swim in Boston Harbor. And he was like, so I need something to like propel me and da da da. So he invented flippers. He invented bifocals. He invented the Franklin stove. He did all sorts of weird shit mm. um, because he had all these interests. And what that leads to is, is that means that in your brain, there is all this shit floating around and it has idea sex. It recombines. Oh, it's a and great term. That's, but that's what it is. And again, it's, I just want to be clear. I stole that idea. You know, and there's there's these trickster characters that appear throughout human history, like Prometheus, and he steals fire from the gods and then gives it to the people. And in return for that, Prometheus is put on a rock and a vulture tears out his liver day after day after day. And people have been trying to tear out my liver on the rock on Twitter. Some people, like you guys, are like, Wow, fire. How do we make more of this? This is fun. Right. And some people are like, no, this fucker needs to have his liver torn out. And, you know, that's OK. Like, I don't care because I don't care that you're a snowflake in denial because I'm a recovering snowflake. And I want to help other snowflakes escape the prison of their stupid ass culture that believes that George Washington was some sort of mythic figure. And what we've become is America has become imprisoned by the myth of George Washington, which is different from the man of George Washington. Yeah. And when you believe George Washington was a god, you cannot well, make any progress. Well, what does presidential mean? Everyone keeps saying Trump's not presidential. What the fuck is presidential? Yeah. And what the fuck is capitalism? Because I'm going to tell you, there's about 70 billion different interpretations of capitalism. And the more you talk to people about capitalism, the more you realize they're talking about totally different things. And part of what then happens is, you know, because I challenge these anarcho-capitalists, your, you know, 
buddies, right? Yes. And what, what you find out is, is that, you know, you do that, right? You basically throw, you drop a knowledge bomb into that community. And it's a simple story that is super upsetting to them. And specifically, there's this guy, Thomas Woods. And Thomas Woods is, you know, sort of the, the most radicalized of the libertarians. Because fundamentalism always works on a spectrum. And there's different degrees of radicalization. And so he's the most radicalized. And, you know, he wants to just, like, get rid of all government. And then we're going to have private militias. And there's going to be a competition of violence. And I'm like, humanity did that, Thomas Woods. It's called the Stone Age. And it doesn't work out for fat men with glasses. Right? It's not, you're not, like, I, listen, I'm honest. Like, yesterday I was hanging out with Brian and his buddy Frank Grillo. And Frank Grillo is a tough guy. You know, he's from a sort of Sicilian honor culture. He's Italian. And, you know, I know the fact that part of being from an honor culture is, is that you're Batman. You're like so fucking crazy and willing to go to violent places that I'm not willing to go to. So Frank Grillo takes my hand and he starts to stare me down. And I got down on my knees to Frank Grillo. I humiliated myself. And I said, listen, Frank Grillo, I am your beta. And I know that. And I know that the key to my survival is hiding behind you. And if I hide behind you, then I'll be fine. And if I hide behind Brian Callen, who talks a far bigger game than he can back up, I'm going to get killed by association. And that's why you're my buddy, Frank Grillo. You're my king. I love you. Um, and Frank Grillo was like, that's great. Because when you understand where people are coming from culturally, then you know what each person needs to hear. And you can form relationships and you can create bonds. But the problem is, is that when you go on something like Joe Rogan and you say one message, then and you're speaking to a bunch of different cultures. And so people hear different things and you end up offending people in different ways. So my Joe Rogan appearance led to me being called a member of the alt-right. It led to me being called a Harvard egghead, uh, which my uncle in Kansas calls me all the time. It led to me being called, you know, a libertarian. It led to me being called every single name. And none of these categories actually make sense of who I am. But that's the nature of the Dunbar number is that, you know, we all have the we're all playing characters or avatars on the Internet. And we say one thing, and people hear a million different things, mm. and that's because feeling and thinking are linked. And Descartes' error is an error. Motherfuckers. <laughs> and if Sam Harris... How is that for tying it together? <laughs> that's what it's about. It's all about connecting the dots. And, it's, and that's, what, that's what mixed martial arts is about. Mixed martial arts is about, like, there's all these different fighting styles. There's Krav Maga, there's Jiu Jitsu, there's Jeet Kune Do, there's all that stuff you know, boxing, we tie, and you tie it all together. And the early bouts are sloppy because a boxer goes into a ring with a we tie guy and the boxer is like all confident because he's the world champion in boxing. And then all of a sudden, the we tie guy starts kicking him in the head. And he's like, <laughs> ah, I haven't trained for this. This is terrible. And then the community watches that and they're like, fuck, man, you better, if you go into the ring, you better be able to do boxing and we tie. And then, you know, over time, that sort of evolves. And then, and I don't know the actual history of MMA, obviously, because I'm a recovering egghead. And, but, and um, you also like Meryl Streep movies, obviously. I, I am a huge Meryl Streep fan. <laughs> I just can't, you know, that whole Ricky movie, like when Joe Rogan was talking shit about that, I was like, Joe, that's my favorite. <laughs> 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 uh, 
So, Hunter, sorry, let's just go down to basics quickly. So your mixed martial arts analogy is basically mixed martial arts, the, the, the reason for it uh, existing, so to speak. They want to see which is the best fighting style the world's ever known. So they invited all these mm-hmm. different champions of different styles to fight, and they found out uh, none of them were actually really good. So it needed to evolve. So now the best fighting style is one that has all the elements of the different fighting styles together. That's why, uh, That's right. uh, what's then Conor McGregor, awesome fighter, mm-hmm. fantastic wrestler, brilliant on the ground. The guy is a, is a, is a genius in fighting because he knows all yep. the fighting styles and is, is the best at each aspect of those fighting styles. So how would you apply that to culture then? That's exactly the thing. So you have to understand that. And, you know, again, uh, the facts speak for themselves. Like, however you may feel about me, there's a blog and it's called it's mixedmentalarts.club. And there's a book and it's called The Straight A Conspiracy. And there's a podcast called The Brian Callen Show. And it's all been evolving for a very, very long time. And let me tell you that if you truly want to see how shitty this thing started off being, watch some of the early episodes of The Brian Callen Show. There's some of the worst content ever produced like utterly unenjoyable and over time we you know it was it was all very sloppy and we've just sort of had to refine 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 but what we realized as we talked to all of these academics is that they were like this guy's an amazing boxer but that's literally all he knows he's a one-note guy and it became increasingly frustrating to us because we were trying to make connections. And, you know, if you, you, you can go back and you can see the evidence for yourself. So for example, you would have, you know, the diffusion of innovations is just like, I repeatedly talk to academics about this and they're like, either they go like David Sloan Wilson and they say, Oh, of course I have heard of Everett Rogers's classic work, but I have not made a close study of it. And what you're saying, dude, because I've worked with children for a long time, is that you never bothered to read the fucking book, right? And that's okay. And that's okay. And that's and David Sloan Wilson, listen, I would not be able to be talking about this if it wasn't for David Sloan Wilson. That is the back and forth of people challenging each other's thinking. Is is that, you know, David Sloan Wilson hands me an idea, I put it together with other ideas, and then I hand it back. And that's not the culture of academia. The culture of academia is is that everybody is in their little separate shitty rings and fighting styles, and the result is that there are a whole bunch of ideas. I need to plug in my laptop quickly, but there are a whole bunch of ideas that never move because they're never in a form that is accessible enough for people to start picking up that, like, holy shit, this is so much more exciting than just watching either boxing or jujitsu or whatever it may be. And, you know, the, 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 what mixed mental arts, you know, we, we announced that with episode 207 of the Brian Callen show. We're now on episode 229. And, you know, we sort of got to debut it to a larger audience with episode 897 of Joe Rogan. And it's going to keep evolving. And in the same way as the early days of, um, of mixed martial arts, people are going to be asking, is this even legal? And I'm okay with that. They can ask whatever fucking questions they want. And if they want me to unpack it, I'll unpack it because that's what teachers do. They just keep on making things clearer and clearer with simple stories. And what's upsetting to a a recovering scientist like me is that that's what Jesus did. That's how Jesus taught. That's how Ben Franklin taught. That's how the Buddha taught. That's how all these people from all these different cultures taught. 
And the key thing is that if you, you can't solve the problems of American culture by only staying in American culture. Because the problem of American culture is that they believe that George Washington is a god and that they are super atomistic and super individualistic. And to actually have a society, you can't just everybody have everybody being a little individual. Sometimes you have to work as a group and sometimes you need to break with the mold and basically say, hey, guys, there's a better way to do things. Well, we've had a we've had a philosopher on the show who um, has a theory that there's no such thing as groups. His argument is essentially, uh, and Ramon will correct me if I'm, if I'm off, but um, his argument is essentially that because um, individuals may agree on, on things and that may put them into a group, they, as individuals, they never fully align completely. So, yep. therefore, therefore, groups don't exist. Well, and essentially, that's the argument Richard Dawkins is making. He's saying that evolution magically disconnects at the level of groups. So, you know, those two would have a great conversation, right? They could both believe bullshit fantasies about reality that deny what guys like you and me see with our eyes all around us. You know, when you see, hey, this is weird. These black dudes believe they're in tribes and these white dudes think that somehow they've escaped tribalism, that there are no tribes. That's fucking weird. That doesn't add up. And that's what science is about. Things don't add up. And you're like having to make sense of it. And, you know, the problem is, is that that your philosopher friend and Richard Dawkins are going to continue to go out and spread their shitty ideas. And if somebody doesn't shut down those shitty ideas, then those shitty ideas are going to tear people apart and um, continue to have people believe weird fantasies about human nature. And fantasies about human nature lead to things like Stalinism and Maoism and fascism and so many different versions of people believing shit about themselves and believing shit about other groups of humans that aren't grounded in reality. Well, and the know, question we, we're recovering from apartheid here. So I think we know exactly yep. what you're talking about. Yep. And the, the question is, do you, uh, you know, it's, it's easier for, if you've got, look at a country like South Africa, it's a great example, right? There are conversations that need to happen between the white and black community. And, what, you know, it's not that anybody has the total truth. You know, the black people are going to have to clue the white people onto the fact that they belong to tribes. And that's going to, you know, make them triggle. It's going to go all triggly puff with all the, like, the, the Roynicks and the Boers and all that stuff. It's going to make it so upsetting to them. You know, and that's okay. And that's okay. Because it's much better to be emotionally upset about that and discover the truth that you're in tribes and then be able to like handle and manage your tribalism and overcome your biases. And the white South Africans are going to have to have uncomfortable conversations with the black South Africans and be realistic about how does your culture feel about education? And, you know, how does it feel about, you know, uh, innovation and hard work and embracing your mistakes and analyzing your mistakes and using them to get better and all these sorts of things. And at the end of the day, the thing that makes that conversation possible is goodwill hunting because there's this <laughs> great scene at the end of goodwill hunting where, you know, Sean goes up to Will and he says, it's not your fault. And Will is like, man, I know, I know, I know. Right. <laughs> and then he says, it's not your fault. And he's like, man, I know, I know, I know. And then he just keeps saying it's not your fault until eventually Will cracks 
he cracks emotionally and he cries. And nobody's saying that Will Will Hunting is not a smart guy. Like, dude's a fucking genius in math and, you know, all these sorts of other things. But he is an emotional cripple. And he's an emotional cripple because he went through trauma. You know, the guy, you know, his stepfather used to, foster father used to take a wrench to him. And that trauma leads him to behave in a certain way. And, there, you know, there are essentially, I mean, you know, there, to, to some degree, we're all on this spectrum from being in total denial about our trauma, like Will Hunting, uh, to being like, I got a lot of weird shit I got to deal with. Um, and, you know, then you're actively trying to deal with your shit. So, and I'm going to go ahead and say that you guys are guys who are trying to deal with your shit. And people who are trying to deal with their shit can help other people try and deal with their shit and can change the world and can, you know, understand that having uncomfortable conversations is more important than your feelings. Yeah, well, we're we're, we're trying to get everyone to kind of deal with their their shit. Um, All all I want in South Africa is for people to appropriate each other's culture as if right. that was the thing that was most important to them. Unfortunately, the fucking regressive left have made that a, a mortal sin. <laughs> Whereas right. the only way we actually advance as a society is by appropriating what works. But apparently that and is that a mortal is, sin. That is idea sex. That is innovation. And so, again, there are great... You're not going to... The, the, the problem for all of us is that it's very hard for us to solve the problems of our culture within our culture. You have to go out to other cultures and steal simple stories that make it possible. So I'm going to give you this one. Okay, you guys ready? Ready. If I was you, just just, yeah, just like the story of David Reimer, I would be telling this story again and again and again. And this is the story of in the in Mexico City. There's a place called uh, La Plaza de las Tres Culturas. Okay, so the the square of yeah. Well, you know, I mean, sometimes you got to get into the accent, right, guys? I mean, you know, um, that's, that's you know, I mean, Brian Callen and I both have a slight obsession with Spanish, uh, just in terms right. of sexy languages. Yeah, I mean, he calls himself El Gato, um, and that's his fantasy of himself. And, you know, I have certain fantasies about myself that just don't fit the reality of who I am. But, um, but there's this, yeah, so there's the this this place, and it's the square where Cuauhtémoc, the last Aztec emperor, and and Hernán Cortés faced off. And at, in that square, there's an inscription, which is, it says, it was neither a victory nor a defeat, but the painful birth of a mestizo culture. And that, if you look at Mexico, that is what Mexico is. It's not Aztec. It's not Spanish. It is the result of everybody appropriating the stuff from each other's cultures. And you can see that in all sorts of places, like the taco. Because the taco features corn from the Aztecs. It features beef, which is originally from Europe and places like India and all of that stuff. It features tomatoes, which are also from the Aztecs. It features cheese, which was, you know, probably domesticated in India. And then, you know, cheese itself probably developed in Turkey. So that's the nature of innovation. That's the nature of progress is that cultural appropriation and it's a two-way exchange. It's idea sex is how the world moves forward. And what fundamentalists hate is they hate idea sex. They hate it. So <laughs> their ideas repressed. <laughs> you buy the some cultures are better than other cultures sort of statement. No, bullshit. 
And you don't. Bullshit. So I thought you didn't, you see. But but see, it's there some cultures some cultures have the benefit of more idea sex though. That's the important thing. So if you look at, for example, why are why are uh you know, I mean, let's acknowledge reality, right? Why not? Uh that, you know, if you've got a place like America or a place like Northern Europe or, you know, parts of South Africa. Yeah, or South Korea versus North Korea. South Korea versus North Korea is a brilliant one. And again, what you're, you know, this is this is the key teaching technique that I've found. And I'm, you know, the South Korea versus North Korea example I stole from Why Nations Fail. But the key thing is, is that you put two things next to each other and you create conflict. And now you have to look at a new pattern. So look at South Korea and North Korea. South Korea and North Korea, are the people genetically the same? Yeah. Yes. Right. They've gone on these massively different tra- trajectories only in the last 50 years. South Korea and North Korea, do they have the same sort of underlying culture in terms of myths and language and food and all that sort of stuff? Yep. Same thing. Yep. So why in the fuck Can't they is just get it? on? Yeah. They basically they have this shitty dude, Kim Jong Un. And Kim Jong Un makes up stories about himself, including the fact that he doesn't poop. Right. That's one of the things that Kim Jong Un and Kim Jong Il also uh, also said. And that's because why don't they poop? And it's that, you know, again, this comes down to emotions. It's because poop is the most base human thing. If you know that someone poops, then all mystery is gone from them. Like if you want to destroy the myth of George Washington, you just find some sort of, you know, a proto photograph of him on the shitter. <laughs> yeah, some will be like, man, that dude is totally fucking normal. He's dropping the kids <laughs> off the pool. Wow. Um, and so, you know, again, if you if you ever manage to, you know, get a picture of Kim Jong Un just dropping a big fat dookie, and the you know North Korean people saw it, then the illusion would be shattered. It would be like the Wizard of Oz. The curtain would be pulled back, and we'd see that there was no God, but only a humbug. Um, and so. You know, that's part of the reason, you know, people often some sometimes, you know, method seems like madness. Right. And sometimes people seem crazy, but they're actually crazy like a fox. And I have been talking about poop for a long time on the Mixed Mental Arts club site. And I didn't totally know what I was doing. But the point is, is that poop shatters, eludes, poop destroys genius myths. Poop reveals that there are no gods, but only men. Um, and so the big, big difference is, is that, you know, North Korea is hierarchical and it has a God and that God creates a, a situation that creates a climate of fear and mistrust. And the result is, is that there isn't the free exchange of ideas. The North Korean people don't talk about their problems. They avoid them. And in South Korea, you have an inclusive society that is much less hierarchical. And so people are exchanging ideas. They're learning from each other. They're having ideas sex. So uh, basically, you know, North Korea is idea bukkake, where there's one guy on top and he's just bukkakeing over everybody. And everybody's like, ah, so much semen. I hate it. And, you know, South Korea is an idea orgy. And out of idea orgies emerge amazing solutions. I mean, South Korea has all this great pop music. It has crazy fucking Korean movies like Old Boy. Uh, oh, yeah. There's all sorts of interesting food happening like Korean, bar- bar- Korean barbecue burritos. And there's technology. 
So the, 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 the solution is to, you know, if you, if you've got a culture, for example, like the United States, the United States had the benefit of a lot of idea sex because you had migrants from all over the world coming together and they're picking up from each other. And you end up with things that like chop suey, which chop suey, you show that to a Chinese person, they're like, that's not fucking Chinese food. <laughs> right? It evolved into something different because they were like, oh, fucking Americans. How do you like make Americans like Chinese food? And so they come up with chop suey or General Tso's chicken or whatever it is. But that's the that's that's the great secret of American success is is that it is a melting pot. And what we if you, the opportunity for us is that we now understand that there's enough understanding in the world and the adjacent possible, the thing that we can create in all the places of the world and ultimately in the world as a whole is just the biggest idea orgy that we've ever seen. Uh, or we continue to let people have idea bukkake. And I don't want I don't I personally I don't like semen falling on my face. I would rather be fucking and everybody's fucking and just having a good time. But you know, people like you have to also be realistic about the patterns of history. Is Kim Jong un like if you if I had this conversation with Kim Jong un and was like, Hey Kim, you know, um actually the the people of North Korea are gonna be more prosperous if they're like the people of South Korea and if you give up some of your power and if instead you have more accountability and people can call you out on your shit, like the fact that you do shit. <laughs> of course not, because powerful people don't give up their power. They have to be taken out of power. And the question is, how do you take them out of power? And that's something that I spent a long time thinking about. And I don't like violence. And I don't think we should have violent revolutions anymore because we've done that. And the great thing is because of the Internet, you can have a comedy revolution and you can rob these ridiculous people and their ridiculous ideas of their power by laughing at them and showing that the intellectual emperors have no clothes. You can show that your philosopher guy's idea that people aren't tribal is fucking retarded because tribes have existed throughout human history. What magical thing do you think happened, dipshit? Uh, you know, you can make fun of, of uh, Richard Dawkins and you can say, listen, this is a big problem in evolution. He uses his own values against you. Say this is a big problem of evolution is mimicry. You know, there are there's the coral snake and then there's that other fucking shitty snake that doesn't have venom but just sort of mooched off of the coral snake's hard work and you know yeah. created a strike pattern that makes it look like that. And there's turkey and there's tofurkey. And you know, vegans constantly try and tell me that tofurkey tastes just like tur turkey. And I'm like, you're a fucking vegan. You don't eat meat. I know what turkey tastes like. And I've tasted both of them. And I'm going to tell you that turkey and tofurkey are not the fucking same. And L. Ron Hubbard, although he was right about looking words up, it is not science. It's Scientology. It's this weird substitute magic. product. It's, yeah, it's magic. And it's tofurkey. And, you know, so I just think, you know, you have to understand, again, my own cultural baggage. You know, I, my dad's Dutch. And the problem with the Dutch is, is that we they came are colonized Africa. Yeah, so you know the Afrikaners. So tell the tell the people about the Afrikaners. Are they maybe a little bit direct? Do they say everything that's on their mind? <laughs> they they can, but they can be quite polite. Yeah, they can, yeah, but they are known to be quite um, forceful with how they feel. They they like to know, <laughs> they, they like to let people know how they feel. Yeah, we don't fuck around. Um, <laughs> and you know that's. That's that's born out of our cultural experience because 
the basic problem is, you know, my parents come from the two flattest places on earth. My mother is from Kansas, which is a fucking pancake. And they have this place there called Mount Oread. And Mount Oread, I think, is like, you know, six meters tall. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, there's Holland, which isn't just flat. It's a divot. It's like underwater. Yeah. And Holland was like the shitty country. And then they expanded it out. They kept on building all these dikes and reclaiming more land from the sea. But the problem is, is that, you know, dikes burst. And that's a real threat. And so, again, you know, Americans and their weird obsession with individualism, you've probably heard the story of, of the little Dutch boy who stuck his finger in the dike, right? Yeah, a while ago. Um, uh, I don't yeah. think I have. No. You're welcome oh, so to, 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 to is, tell me. Yeah, the idea is that one of the dikes bursts. And, you know, there's, there's like a little hole in it. Water starts coming out. And if the dike bursts, then the whole of Holland will flood. And this brave little Dutch boy sees this <laughs> hole in the thing and he sticks his finger in the hole and he stops the flood until the people can come. And this is the dumbest shit that any Dutch person has ever heard because they're like, you know, you're not, what, really, you're going to stop the ocean with your finger, kid? Like, that is such a hero myth of individualism that only an American would come up with. And that's where the myth evolved. The reality is, is that the Dutch have these sort of large organizations, these water boards, and these water boards basically band together and deal with their shit. Because keeping Holland, uh, you know, not underwater is a huge engineering challenge. Yeah. And if you, if you have a huge engineering challenge, then you have to develop a culture where everybody works together Everybody, you know, engineers don't fuck around like they, they say exactly what's on their mind, because if I've got a choice between confronting your emotions and upsetting you and drowning, I'm going to choose confronting your emotions and upsetting you and you know, not letting the world drown. And history repeats itself. There are cycles and potentially the world can drown. That's that's a real possibility. You know, we are now at a place of disunity and disunity can lead to war. And so we've got two choices. And the reality is, is that, you know, I'm just a little Dutch boy. And I know that my finger is not going to stop the ocean. But if I tell the community, then the community can rally together and we can have idea sex. Yeah. So, so Hunter, what is, what is yeah. preventing people from having idea sex then? Is it, is it well, a cultural thing or, I mean, and then we need to go on to what fundamentalists are because a lot yep. of people think about fundamentalists as religious, but you mm -hmm. think any ideology has fundamentalism in it. Is that it's right? Not, it's not really what I think. It's okay. I'm just, you know, I'm exposing the pattern. I mean, you know, the analogy that I've been using on the blog is I'm Toto. And, you know, I, why? Because my mom's from Kansas. She's from a pancake. Um, and, you know, what Toto does, and, you know, I've been hearing about The Wizard of Oz from my mom for a million fucking years, and she loves that story. And, you know, what does Toto do? Toto is a little dog. He's lowly. He's a little shithead, right? And, you know, I'm lowly. I'm not a great wizard, and I don't have a big Twitter following, and I'm not, you know, Richard Dawkins or Thomas E. Woods or any of these great men and wizards of our time, or, you know, Richard B. Spencer, who is such a fucking genius that he thinks that we should do uh, our Jews people again. Like, I think we did that, Richard. Like, that experiment in history has been done. How about we don't repeat that one? How about we learn from our mistakes? How about humanity grows up for a change? Um, and so, you know, all, all I can do, the only thing that I can do is pull back the curtain. And I can pull back the curtain, 
and you can see the man that is there. And if I keep revealing the patterns, then more and more people will start looking. And there's this great, if you look at the Wizard of Oz, because these are the dynamics of social patterns, when Toto pulls back the curtain, Dorothy, the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, and the Cowardly Lion are like, right? They don't quite know what to make of it. The world just changed, and no one wants to make of it. It's the same thing as what happens with the first MMA fight. They're like, Right. It's an awkward moment. And then, you know, if you keep pulling back the curtain at a certain point, it becomes really funny because suddenly, you know, you might be angry at the wizard for lying to you and deceiving you and manipulating you. And then at a certain point, you're like, man, you're an idiot. Like, this is ridiculous. Humans are such silly geese. So preventing us from having idea sex. So I'll, 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 you know, uh, you guys are a perfect example. Why have you not said more loudly and more clearly, listen, the liberals are ridiculous though in South Africa. The white people are ridiculous because they think they don't have tribes. You know, there are whatever problems there are with the black tribes. And what we should be doing is creating a mestizo culture. We should be doing what the Mexicans did. It's not about victory or defeat. It's about the fact that we are better together, and together we're going to evolve something far better than anything that has ever existed. And you can see examples of that in South Africa. because, And the, the food is the great example always because everybody's like, I like food. I can see food. How do I argue with that? There's peri-peri chicken, Nando's. Who doesn't want a cheeky Nando's? And, you know, a, a cheeky Nando's is not – Nando's is not – what culture is that from? It's from a mix of cultures, right? Yeah, that's and, highly you know, stolen, but but yes, stolen. Genuinely South African, I suppose. In in the end, but that's that's the point. It's all stolen. What well, pizza is not Italian? I have some bad news for Frank Grillo, even though he's a far more dominant individual than I am. I am, and I'm his beta. But you know, pizza is not Italian. Tomatoes are Aztec. You know, cheese is again the Turkish blah blah blah. Wheat was domesticated by the Arabs. There is. There is, there is no, nothing belongs to any culture. You know, if you go far enough back, it's all idea sex. Is this why and privilege so, is, is this a great argument against privilege? Why privilege, well, specifically? But here's the, here's the real question. You know, what is the function of privilege in a society? I think, you it's know, because I'm aspirational, surely. Like, yeah, and it's a responsibility to use that privilege to uplift humanity. And this is something that I struggled with for a long time. And, you know, this is, I mean, you know, are you guys really willing to make fun of Americans? Is that okay on this podcast? Uh, is that we make cool? fun of everyone. It would be fun. This is South Africa. They'll, they'll, they'll love it. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, you know, when you, when you grow up all around the world, uh, you know, you start to realize that there's an aristocracy of citizenship because you spend time with Libyans. And you're like, man, these people would fucking kill for an American passport. They would love an American passport. You spend time in it. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and again and again, you just are, you know, confronted with these things. And you're like, all these people want to be Americans. Why do they want to be Americans? Right. And then, you know, you go to a place like the Snowflake Factory that is Harvard. And you're constantly hearing about your white privilege, white privilege, white privilege, white privilege. And you're like... Well, what about American privilege? Isn't that a kind of privilege? What about the privilege of the fact that you, just by dint in your birth, have access to literally the most prosperous society in human history, 
the best working opportunities, the uh, access to a functioning democracy? And what about the fact that with your privilege, you're not educating yourselves and that you're abusing the power of America and that you routinely, because you don't understand how to build a functional society because you just inherited it, are constantly fucking up everybody else's societies. What about that privilege? Does that count as a privilege? And you know what? I think it does. I think all the privileges count, and I have all of them. I'm white, I'm male, I'm cisgendered, and I'm American, and I'm Dutch. I won the fucking lottery. You know what I'm going to do with my fucking lottery ticket? Enjoy I'm going to lift humanity up. I'm going to drag them kicking and screaming into the future. And even if it triggers them left, right, and center, and the great secret is, is that when people throw shit at you, you make you make Shinola with it. You turn a silk pur- a pig's ear into a silk purse. Or my favorite analogy from that I've been using recently is what the Japanese do. So the Japanese have this great thing called kintsugi, where when a pot gets shattered, they take the shattered pieces and they put the pieces together and they fill in the cracks with gold. And they create, I mean, these pots are beautiful. And so, you know, it's it, making kintsugi is an art, but the, the, it's, the, it's the art of improv comedy. Um, because what happens is, is that in an improv, if you read, if you actually want to understand evolution, read Tina Fey's Bossy Pants. Because I have actually. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's what Tina Fey is talking about. She's talking about the evolution of ideas. Because Tina Fey, it's, you know, she, there's this great principle that improv comedy, without reading the science, evolved. It's almost like the wisdom of crowds emerges on its own without the permission of Richard Dawkins. Which is so weird to me. <laughs> and to <laughs> him, like perhaps. There, yeah, there are laws in the universe that o- operate, you know, without the say-so of Richard Dawkins, like groups and tribes and all this stuff. And, you know, and reciprocal altruism, where when you do nice things for people, they feel emotionally compelled to do nice things back, right? It's almost like we're not naturally selfish, Right. And perhaps because, as Darwin said, that the tension between groups means that altruistic groups outcompete selfish groups, which is what David Sloan Wilson has been saying. Right. So um, but what ends up happening is, is that, yeah, if, if I, you know, I, as I went on, you know, over many, many years, I have been, you know, trying to say this and say this more and more clearly and more and more powerfully. And people would keep throwing me shit. Right. They keep throwing shit at me. So, you know, we wrote the straight A conspiracy and Katie and I wrote the straight A conspiracy for a very simple reason. We thought all the children of the world are to know their potential and what they could do. And isn't that a terrible idea? Like, who would want to do that? But every time that, you know, we we, we wrote, we go out and we would speak. The majority of people, the vast, vast majority of people were like, thank fucking God you said this, because you know, I wish I had, this is the book I always wished I'd had in high school. And those are the people we wrote the book for. We wrote the book that we wished we had in high school. But then there are always some monkeys who throw shit. And the shit they throw is, you know, all this weird random shit. Like, you know, oh, you're trying to deny genetics? No, we're not trying to deny genetics. You know, the whole point is, is that, you know, this is all based on science. And if instead of like questioning what we're saying, you went and actually read the science, you could form your own conclusion. You don't have to believe us. And in fact, does genetics matter? Yes, genetics matter. But, you know, and it's yeah, we're, we're very clear in the beginning of the book. We say, you know, Down syndrome is a thing. Right. Uh, you know, Tay-Sachs 
is a thing. Like there's lots and lots of genetic diseases, but there is a, there is a study you can find that says that, you know, although we've discovered 300 genes for mental retardation, we have never discovered a gene for above average intelligence. And at the time when we put that in there, we were yeah. like, mm, that's, I mean, that just seems like a good thing to sort of use the science to explain the point that we were trying to prove. And now we understand it more clearly. And we understand it more clearly because of people like Joe Henrik, who wrote this book, The Secret of Our Success. And it's that, you know, humanity, the reason there's always been this big question. Why did humans break away from all other species? Why are we the kings? Why are we ruling the planet? And it's because what happened is, is that at some point in our distant evolutionary past, we moved from our primary mechanism of evolution being the evolution of genes to the evolution of culture. So we now, instead of changing our genetic hardware, we change our cultural software. And over time, our cultural software has gotten better and better and better. So tools evolve. Nobody is questioning that tools evolve. I can show you a stone tool and, you know, I can show you an axe. And clearly the axe is better. And uh, institutions evolve. You know, I can show you the structure of, you know, uh, ancient Egypt. How is that society structured? And I can be like, wow, that looks an awful lot like North Korea, right? <laughs> and it's the same basic pattern. And I'm like, wow, you know, is is North Korea better than anarchy? And I have some bad news for you, Roman. Yes, it is. <laughs> this is pleasant for an anarcho-capitalist. Oh, but it's, oh, it, it is better than anarchy. Well, um, but, but Hunter, but, so, so you basically yeah. just agreed that evolution happens uh, naturally, so to speak. So... Yeah. Why do you have to be around to ensure that it carries on? It's a great question, and I'll tell you why. It's because, so there's, you know, there are, in, in the long arc of human history, there are, you know, most of the time we're doing things without reflection. We're just sort of doing shit, shit is evolving. So if you look at agriculture, agriculture happens on its own. Right. You don't you don't have to make agriculture happen. Agriculture seems to have been invented independently in 11 different places on the planet. Right. But at a certain point, humans start to understand that this agriculture thing, if we put a little bit of reflective thought into it, if we thought about it a little bit, that we could evolve much better agriculture. And so you get the agricultural revolution. And then, you know, there's also this process where humans are making tools and tools are getting better. You have the Stone Age, the Iron Age, you have the Bronze Age, all the age of the wheel, the axial age. And then at a certain point, we start to understand, hey, guys, if we actually reflected on how this shit works, then we could do it better. And that's the Industrial Age. And so all I'm doing is basically building on the success of the past and saying, hey, guys, you know, this thing happens. It happens on its own. But what would happen if we actually all started to think and reflect on these things and talk these things out as we're doing now and improv off of each other? What kind of cultures could we evolve? Could we see a massive explosion in innovation unlike any that has ever been seen? And that's the opportunity. Okay. That's what we can do. Okay, but, but, okay, so you talked about a melting pot and how yeah. America is a melting pot of cultures and that's part of its success. But how do yep. you how do you then multiculturalism? Many will argue has failed. For example, in Europe, um, and the threat of it certainly is probably led to things like Trump in the U.S. Um, yep. At least in the concept people currently understand it to be. So how do you how do you take people who want to take you want to take them into the future? 
um, kicking yeah. and screaming, and they want to take you yeah. to the year 700, kicking and screaming yeah. or beheaded. Um, so how do you yeah. how do you reconcile that? How do you win? It's very, it's very, it's not how do I win, it's how do we win. So, you know, there, 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 the wisdom of crowds, the wisdom of crowds exists. It just needs to be stoked. So, you know, I've said these things and what happens is, is that I say things and then people emotionally resonate with them. And the there are people who get it. And there are people who, you know, tell me that, you know, I'm not worthy to lick Richard Dawkins' boots, right? And that's okay. There's diversity of thought and God bless it, right? And, um, you know, what's going to happen is, is that, you know, when someone like Joseph Welch calls out Joseph McCarthy, all he does is he's just the first person to spot what the crowd then sees. Yeah. And there's a there's there's a process there. There are, you know, conversations start happening and people start being like, oh, this it does seem like Joseph McCarthy's kind of a dick like he doesn't seem very decent mm. i think joseph welch kind of has the point there and you know that's already happening and you know in spite of my many verbal tics and my many failings on the joe rogan podcast where i said right you know the, all that sort of thing a million times some people got really hung up on that some people focused on the style and some people focused on the when, when, when they don't you when they don't like what you have to say they generally focus on those things hunter wow. i saw an entire video where they edited all those parts where you say, right, yeah. out of the Joe Rogan podcast, a whole video. It's about 12 minutes long. You should be honored that, that someone they, went through three someone, hours. Someone went through the whole thing to, to edit that. <laughs> and then at the bottom it says, Hunter is the most, is the sloppiest, laziest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> worst. I'm the worst. And that's the thing is, is that sometimes you have to work, be the worst to bring out the best in people. And, you know, I had to be the worst to all of my students because let me tell you that what they wanted to do was they didn't want to confront their emotions and they didn't want to accept that for all these years, you know, their thinking had been driven by their feelings. And that the issue was that they were feeling stupid and that stupid is the feeling of shame and that shame causes you to avoid things. And that when you feel stupid about around, when you have shame around your mistakes, you throw up your tests and you wad them away, wad, throw them away rather than bringing them out and learning from them. And my, some of my students, they fucking hated me. They really did. They, like, couldn't stand me. They're like, who's this fucking asshole, right? And they shouted at me and they got angry at me. But the nature is of, of teaching is, is that teaching is like mixed martial arts. You know, there's, you know, you show up one day and there's a bout. And then you can always get back in the ring. And if you keep getting back in the ring and you keep absorbing whatever they throw at you mm. and then figuring out how to make kintsugi with it, then over time you get better and better and better. And then more and more people start to be like, actually, this thing that he's doing is actually quite socially useful. And really, it's just that you've never confronted your emotions. And so there's again, you know, if you, if you spend time in the Middle East, you find out that radicalization is a chain. There's a chain of how radical people are. And, you know, the basic problem is, is that the most extreme guy, the Kim Jong-un, creates a climate of fear in the name of righteousness and name-calling that shuts down the rest of the spectrum from speaking. And so, you know, we have to create a basket of reasonables, a basket of people who are like, <laughs> clearly the world is nuts, and, you know, all cultures are insane. And the opportunity is to create a mestizo culture that is the best of all times and places. 
and that, you know, white people in South Africa are crazy because they deny tribes and, you know, black people are crazy in their own ways, whatever they are. And imagine if we started to put them together and anybody who has ever been to an actual melting pot, because it's important to realize that America is not a melting pot. It's like what would happen if you threw all the ingredients into a cold, raw cooking pot and then just all sort of sat next to each other. We didn't like each other very much, right? <laughs> you know, the flavors aren't blending. And it's, you know, I mean, again, like cooking analogies are good. Like one of, one of the best dishes in the world is the Japanese have skiaki. And what's interesting about skiaki is it's a big skillet fondue type thing. And you, it starts off in one place where you're, it is very much like all of these things just sitting next to each other and touching. But as the pot gets going and you put different things in, then what happens is the flavors start to blend. And if you're good at skiaki, I am not because I don't have enough skiaki experience, then ultimately it starts to get more and more delicious and more and more people start to see that this thing could actually become something. And then they want to be involved in it and they start throwing in more shit. And slowly but surely you're peeling people off from all of these radicals. And suddenly, and again, the wisdom of crowds is there. It just needs to be stirred. There's a guy in, I think he's in um, either Australia or New Zealand and his Twitter handle is, Maz77A, and he and I have been talking for ages around the Brian Callen show because he got it early. He was an early adopter. Um, but he sent me this thing on the internet. And, you know, it says, don't panic. And then it shows a big fish trying to eat a little fish. And then it says, you know, do this. And then it shows all the little fish ganging up together to form an even bigger fish that then chases the big fish away. And that's it. And I didn't come up with that. Just so I didn't come up with any of the things that I'm saying. That's the great art. The art is idea sex. And, you know, I'm telling you things. And all I'm doing is to say what you have long felt. Here are the words to say it. And here is the confidence to say it louder and louder and louder and louder until eventually it becomes a chorus. And once it becomes a chorus and, you know, I, again, like I think, the you know, you can just as you can learn from Scientologists. You can learn from Al-Qaeda. We're not supposed to learn from terrorists. But it's almost like terrorists are humans. Something just lit up at the NSA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's almost like terrorists are humans, and it's almost like all humans are innovative. Um, you know, I was just in Oman over Christmas, and Oman is a fascinating place because it's an idea sex paradise. Because Oman, because of its geographical location, has Persian influences, it has Indian influences, it has Arab influences, and it has African influences. And some of the best things that I've ever eaten were at this, you know, Omani restaurant, which is right in Muscat, and they do high-end Omani food. And the flavors come together and all these really interesting things. And once you see idea sex, you're going to increasingly see it everywhere. But... One of the most interesting things that I saw there was um, they have all these forts. That's the big thing that you go see in Oman. Um, and the most interesting part of the fort was the date storage room. So where they store, you know, dates, right, which is in yeah. the desert. That's what you eat because it's your big source of calories. And they would store tons of dates there and so many tons that the pressure of the dates would squeeze out the date honey. And they they carved grooves into the floor so the date honey could run down those grooves and could ultimately, you know, collect into jars. So this problem, they turned into a solution. 
And then there becomes an adjacent possible where what can they do with that date honey? And they realize that they can boil that date honey up and they can pour it out murder holes. So they would pour scalding, boiling sugar all over the attackers. And they all did this without the permission of Richard Dawkins. And that is really, I mean, just the level of heresy that I don't understand. Like, who would challenge authority? Maybe revolutionaries? Maybe people who are more interested in unleashing the potential of the people than in serving an English king? I, you know, what is this heresy? Does history repeat itself? Does it rhyme? How do you, how do you explain Trump then? Well, it's, 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 Trump is very simple. He's Dutch. Did you guys not know this about him? I thought he was Scottish. No, 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 no. It's very interesting. So, again, like, part of what happens is, is that, and, you know, this is, I, I am only just learning the sheer magic of idea sex. Like, I've had some amazing idea sex, more amazing idea sex in the last week because of this Joe Rogan experience than uh, I've had in years. You know, I've learned more. And legitimately because what happened was is that, you know, I've had this, you know, I've had all this sort of, you know, we've read this book, we've read these books, we've had this sort of theoretical understanding. And then I, you know, uh, kicked up a uh, snowstorm. Yeah. All the snowflakes came out. Yeah. And, you know, suddenly it was a blizzard. There was a tweet storm. And some people like you guys were like, this is awesome. I'm so excited. Let's have this conversation. And some people were like, I'm so excited about the conversation. And, um, you know, it's been interesting the things that people have so just to like highlight that the wisdom of crowds exists. So, you know, I've been nicknaming all of these people and somebody, this guy, Jesse Vega, well, I don't know, he's somewhere out there on the internet. He tweets back at me, Sam Harris is Spock. And I'm like, that is who Sam Harris is. That is the right analogy because he worships science and he's in denial about his emotions. And that's what John Hype spotted. And that's what I spot. And that's what I've been trying to say. But Jesse Vega finds a better and clearer way to say that. Because, you know, and he even finds a, a clip of out there where it says, you know, I worship science or something like that. That exists on the Internet. And if you make that shit trend, now you have to have a whole conversation with Sam Harris about his feelings. And he's going to say, I'm totally rational. And then you get to throw shit at him. And you say, here, read fucking Descartes there and read John Hyde's happiness hypothesis and go talk to John Hyde and read Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. Oh, and guess what you're going to find out? You're going to find out that the answer was all in this science, but you didn't understand it. He did speak to John Hart. Actually, it was about, yeah. it was, an, it was, it, I think it was one of the most boring podcasts I've ever listened to, <laughs> mainly because they spoke past each other the whole time, um, which right. Sam is quite good at doing if he doesn't want to get the point. That's, and that's, uh, listen, I've had students like that before. And, you know, again, like shit that I'm going to throw, because I believe that if you create the controversy, that's what I now understand. You create the controversy to teach the controversy. So I'm now going to throw some shit, guys. And, you know, I'm not doing this because I want to. I'm doing this because some feedback was given to me by a listener, Ben at World Peace. And Ben said, fucking Brian Callen show, Mixed Martin Mental Arts. It would be great if it wasn't for that asshole Hunter. He's so boring. <laughs> Right. Brian is salty and Brian is salty because Brian is willing to like create controversy and stir the shit. And so Ben wants me to be saltier. And so what I did was a yes and at Ben. I didn't get angry at Ben. I said, you know what, Ben, you're right. I made a mistake. I haven't been salty enough. So I'm going to be saltier. And so, you know, and he said, that's right. Just bring the Mortons or the knackle, which is what he calls N-A-C-L. 
So I'm going to bring the knackle. I'm going to bring the Mortons. I'm going to just try and give Ben what he wants. I want to serve the people. And so uh, the way that I'm going to do that is I think that it's important that we start having conversations about why these people think the way they do. And it's going to come down to their childhoods. And so somebody threw some shit at me where they started saying that, you know, oh, I'm just a spoiled rich kid. Now, if you want, I can tell you about my childhood. I can tell you about my financial situation. And if, you know, I can show you my shitty ass apartment. Look at that. Isn't this a shit call? It's a true Our listeners can't see, but literally, he's basically in a squatter camp. Yeah. And I mean, like legit. And like my toilet's broken. My toilet's been broken for the last month. And you know, they you, you know the truth is, because, is that you know, if you even if you tell people your situation, if, if for example they come after you for being a, a spoiled rich kid, um, even if you give them some uh, story that or, or the truth that you aren't, um, it'll never be good enough. It's you know that old oh, thing but, of of I, I lived in this terrible broken down house, and they'll be like, you lived in a house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but the great thing is is that you know privilege is not an absolute thing. Privilege is a relative thing. And this is something that I realized because when I was, I went to, you know, my, um, so just, just to tell you the story, whether you choose to believe it or not, my father worked for HFC and I asked my father, can I tell this story? And he was like, I don't know. It was a little uncomfortable, but I dated a girl who was an Alcoholics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous has this great principle, which is that a family is only as sick as its secrets. And I think that's true. And I think that's true for a human family of 7 million people. And so, you know, the Dutch are blunt, and there's this great expression that the English came up with to describe the Dutch, which is a Dutch uncle. And a Dutch uncle is somebody who is well-meaning, but way overly direct. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, humanity needs a Dutch uncle. So if that's going to be my role in society, if my job is to be the Dutch uncle, then I will be the Dutch uncle. And, you know, my, my own Dutch uncle... Uh, Uncle Achim is let me tell you he's so inappropriate like I can't tell you he reads porn magazines around us and I'm like what the fuck are you doing dude that's not cool and he talks about prostitutes and he tells these weird sexual jokes and it all feels massively uncomfortable and this brings us back to Donald Trump yes is he a Dutch uncle he's a Dutch uncle and specifically the reason why is there's you know I was having this conversation. Somebody, you know, put back at me an idea that had been that I'd forgotten, and that you know they brought up. And somebody tweeted me about American nations and how American nations should be on the book list. And American nations is this book all about how America, although we say America is one big bucket, it's actually there are eleven different cultures. And <clears throat> you know, you can read the book; it's great. And when you have a framework of cultural evolution, your life. That makes total sense. Of course there are. And it's because people came from all these different places. And there's this doctrine of what's called first effective settlement, where whoever settles a place first establishes the culture of that place. And then even though they may be kicked out or superseded by that, they've defined a lot of the cultural values of that environment. And of course, you know, New York was settled by the Dutch it was called New Amsterdam. And, you know, I mean, eternal credit to my people who are the Ferengis of Earth, right? You know, they'd like all its trade and sex and they don't really care about anything else. The, uh, 
to, to their eternal credit, the British showed up trying to conquer New Amsterdam, and Peter Stuyvesant plans to make a big stand, and all of a sudden there's a tap on his shoulder, and his son and all of the other all of the other Dutchmen have signed a petition begging him not to fight, to just surrender and capitulate as long as they can continue to trade. Because that's what the Ferengi are. That's what the Dutch are. They literally don't give a shit about anything but trade because they understand that's where prosperity comes from. And so, you know, even though, you know, the the New Amsterdam may now be New York, you know, if you put a Dutch person and a New Yorker side by side and you keep looking, you're going to find there's an obsession with money. There's a total indifference to, you know, social issues like gay marriage and all that sort of stuff. And see, I said it again. Let's cut together a video of that. And, you know, I mean, there's, by the way, guys, just so you know, uh, there's a Hunter Mott's drinking game where, you know, anytime I say one of my verbal ticks, you should be taking a shot. And if you haven't been playing, now's the time to start. And I'll tell you, you'll make it like three minutes and then and you'll then be scissored. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but the, uh, you know, if you, and, you know, if you put them together in like, you know, New Yorkers come in sort of many different flavors of educational level. So if you compare someone like Nelson Rockefeller and Donald Trump, Nelson Rockefeller is much more liberal friendly because he's educated and sophisticated and comes from a good family and all this stuff. Again, there's the take a shot, guys. And then, um, you know, and then if you but Donald Trump is much more crass. So it's just a question of, is he an educated Dutchman or is he, you know, one of the guys who hangs out in the brown cafes of Amsterdam and much more sort of earthy and rough and tumble and, you know, wants to grab a pussy every now and then. Um, like my uncle Achim. My un- uncle Achim is, you know, a pussy grabber. And, you know, I, 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 the reality is that, you know, do I, do I necessarily get on board with that behavior? No. Do I think it's appropriate? No. But the key thing is to understand that it's because of his unexamined cultural baggage, which is what it is for all of us. And if you make Donald Trump aware of his cultural baggage, then he has the possibility to change like all of us. And the best way to make Donald Trump aware of his cultural baggage is to give him a nickname. And, you know, because that's what nicknames do. Nicknames take what are already there and then you blow it up and you make it so big. Yeah, it's a caricature. Everybody caricature. Can see it. That's right. And so what I would suggest is if you want to give Donald Trump a nickname, you should call him Goldmember because he's Dutch. And isn't that weird? Um, and he is. The Dutch are fucking weird. There's no two ways about it. But, you know, if, if we all start nicknaming each other and teasing each other, then you can have a comedy revolution and you can start to, you know, <clears throat> rob all of you. You can flip the emotional context around these people. So the, the great example, I think, and again, the wisdom of crowds is already happening. So compare side by side. Again, that's what it's all about. Compare side by side, Darth Vader and Kylo Ren. Now, when Darth Vader comes out in the 1970s, he has this big, scary mask and this black cape. Mm. And, you know, he's terrifying and he's cool because he's terrifying. You know, and people who are terrifying and cool have a certain power to them. Hitler has a certain power to him. But when you get to the end of Return of the Jedi, you realize that Darth Vader is a snowflake. He's just a little snowflake who's been in denial for so long. And he takes off his mask and he's a squishy little white man. And, you know, he it turns out that all along, oh, Darth Vader, you know, you were so sad that, you know, Natalie Portman died. 
in the movie that hadn't been made yet, and you've been grieving about your dead wife. And, you know, while some of us handle our grief and the loss of our loved ones, some of us blow up planets. Yeah, yeah, destroy the galaxy. You know, and, and, you know, uh, you wanted to have a relationship with your, you know, your two twins, right, your daughter. And so, you know, you're so uncomfortable with your own emotions that what you ended up doing was blowing up her home planet. Now, Darth... (laughs) This isn't how you have a relationship with your daughter. And so, you know, but by the time that they remake Star Wars and they try and pull the same bag of tricks and they create, you know, Kylo Ren, same thing, scary black mask. More three-dimensional, you know, though, as a character. And More in, the point. in touch and with they, his emotions. Yep. And so they, they, the Internet figures out that Kylo Ren is emo. Right. This is actually just a kid who rebelled against the rebellion. He had the two coolest parents on the planet. Right. Han Solo and Princess Leia. And yet somehow he's like mad at that. Like, what the fuck is this teenage angsty rebellion? And again, there are hilarious Internet accounts like uh, Emo Kylo Ren account about like Kylo Ren force crushing his retainer. Right. (laughs) Like that is hilarious. Or there's a picture of. Him staring at uh, this, this, you know, his helm, uh, the helmet of Darth Vader, yeah. and it just someone has written, "I have all these feelings," <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, what I, what I've been, what are the pro- the process that I'm trying to kickstart, and you know, the community can help drive this, is is that you take someone like Richard B. Spencer, who is rebelling against the rebellion uh, that knocked out Adolf Hitler. And, you know, being like, actually, Darth was super cool, and you guys don't appreciate him. And if you hang the nickname of Emo Kylo Ren on Richard B. Spencer, and you get millions of people being like, dude, dude is totally Emo Kylo Ren. Like, that's his deal. And that becomes the conversation. Then suddenly what you're going to do is you're going to see Richard B. Spencer triggle. He's going to go trigglypuff. And, you know, he's going to get really uncomfortable. And then it's going to be like, oh, Richard, you had feelings and trauma and you never confronted them. And what I what I what, you know, 2016 was a shit year. But 2017, the world can shake with both laughter and triggling. And I want to see all the triggly pups triggle. And if we can make all the triggly pups triggle, then they lose all their social power. And we're no longer scared of them. And instead, what happens is, is that we realize that we're all silly geese. And that, you know, none of us can solve the problems of the world individually. But if we put all of our minds together, the wisdom of crowds can emerge. Well, Hunter, uh, yeah, so just trigger... Uh, yeah, trigger the wizards like Richard Dawkins yep. and a few yep. of our local politicians could do with a bit of triggering, I think, uh, Jonathan uh-huh. Witt. Yeah. But Hunter, it is way past our bedtime in South Africa. <laughs> and, and you need to get started with your day. I mean, there's, all yeah, that, I don't know. All that laundry to do behind you. Oh, never. No, yeah. you, That's not you live in California. There's too much, there's, there's no time for laundry. Too many illegals to do yeah, it for no. you. Well, or, or apparently fixing my own toilet. But, you know, I mean, well, this is the trauma of being Dutch is that when you feel like the dike is about to burst, everything else becomes much less important. Um, so, but the, the thing I, and just to, just to tie it out with the whole ISIS analogy, the point is that, or, or Al Qaeda, You know, Al-Qaeda is much more dangerous than ISIS. And the reason why Al-Qaeda is more dangerous than ISIS is because ISIS has a single physical location. They can be wiped out. Al-Qaeda is a series of cells that operate independently and are just fucking around and doing their own things. And so 
you know, the idea that sort of has been evolving in the Brian Callen show is why not have basically the opposite of Al-Qaeda, like an Al-Qaeda for good, or a series of mixed mental arts dojos where we all exchange ideas and where everybody's fucking around and playing with these concepts and evolving a better and better way, and we all feed off of each other. And, you know, essentially we don't respect national boundaries, and what we're building is a caliphate instead of a caliphate. And so... That's that's the opportunity, but it's literally the the what's what's going to save the world is comedy. It's a comedy revolution, and it's much better to have a comedy revolution where people originally initially don't get that it's a joke, um, and where the jokes get better and better and better than to have you know a violent revolution. Like we're done with that. Like I just yeah. don't think we need to do that again. I agree. I agree. Hunter. Yep. A thousand thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Now that you're a big celebrity, all the best with. Uh, oh no 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 no! no. <laughs> I'm that, just Toda. Just keep uh, <laughs> keep keep uh, triggering those wizards on on Twitter, and no doubt we'll join yep. you soon. And yep. uh, yeah, all the best. Uh, we'll keep lo- listening to the Mixed Mental Arts Show, which is one of the best podcasts around, by the way. Yep, and start the revolution in South <laughs> Africa. Well, uh, well South on its way. Wizards trip. Well on its way. Thanks so much. <laughs> thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. Cheers, Cheers, bye. 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 Right. So that's uh, that's an extended show. We went on longer because I think that was quite good. Much longer than I expected. Um, but I think it was good. Um, yeah, I've got nothing more to say. What cool. Just, well, just, it, just trigger Julius. Call him a Teletubby. <laughs> in that case, uh, thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, got uh, a couple of uh, foreign guests coming on uh on the show uh, in the near future. So we all, we hope you, you will enjoy them. We've uh, worked really hard to, to get these great guests on. Um, you can, as always find us on Twitter at renegade underscore report. You can email us renegade uh, report mailbox at gmail.com. And of course you can give us a like on Twitter, a like on the uh, iTunes app. Please tell your friends about the show. We're really trying to expand even more this year. You have been listening to the number one podcast in South Africa. Cheers. Catch you next time. Cliffcentral.com.